just got to ask, how many of you tuned out the gospel I just read? (laughs) Don't worry. I don't know who you are. My eyes were glued to the text. And I'm not going to do a Bible quiz. But I am asking because it's a really tough text. With Jesus sounding a lot like a stern teacher, waggling a finger at students, do this, don't do that, or else. And if you're anything like me, when I hear that stern, finger-pointing kind of talk, especially when or else includes things like the hell of fire, tearing out an eye, cutting off a hand, I tune that out. And in my mind, the speaker kind of becomes like the adults in the Charlie Brown cartoons. Wah, 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 wah. So for the tune-outs among us, I forgive you. This is confession and absolution. All is good. And now that I see all of you, I ask you to stay with me. Because there is good news here. Jesus' language is very tough, but he's teaching his followers and teaching us with this difficult imagery and very pointed examples about having God in our hearts when we deal with one another. God in our hearts especially when engaging with people who are marginalized, people to whom we and or, and or our society have done wrong, people who we and our society perhaps don't see as worthy. We have the Ten Commandments. We have laws. And in this Gospel passage, Jesus basically says, it's not good enough to follow what we would call the letter of the law. Jesus is asking us to follow the spirit of the law. So he uses a bunch of examples. We're going to look at the first example because it is more understandable in our time and culture than some of the others. And you can ask either Nate or myself about those others out on the patio or at another time. But the first one starts with, you shall not murder. Yeah, we shouldn't physically kill someone. But how many of us metaphorically murder each other with our anger, with our insults, by inflicting harm? We've all done it. Jesus doesn't mince words. He says we'll become liable to judgment. A friend of mine carries so much guilt that he blushed with shame when he told me this story, which he's given me permission to share with you about how he retaliated against a gang of bullies when he was in elementary school. Now, he'd been the really scrawny one, beat up over and over again. So he organized a group of classmates who were equally equally picked on, who were also getting bullied. And he came up with a way to exact revenge that wouldn't be against school rules. They'd choose one bully at a time, isolate the kid, surround them, and simultaneously lift their fingers and point at the little boy and start laughing 
and laughing and laughing. The first one burst into tears, and so did the next and the next. And they worked their way up to the ringleader bully, and sure enough, he too was reduced to tears. The bullying stopped, and my friend and his picked-on pals never gotten in trouble. They hadn't broken any rules, letter of the school law, don't hit, but spirit of the school law, don't hurt one another. Today, my friend feels awful about what he did. He realizes he added more fuel to playground rage instead of telling anyone about getting beat up, instead of asking for help, instead of seeking a way that would not do more harm, he and his pals became bullies themselves. And throughout his school years, my friend prided himself in the ingenuity. I figured out a way to retaliate in a way that didn't break any school rules. I outsmarted everyone. That's what we do when we win and when our victories involve crushing an opponent, involve humiliating someone. And we uphold these victories and we tune out the hurt we've done. We tune out the people that we and our society have hurt. My friend's strategy may have achieved its goal, but deep down he knew it was wrong. And that teeny spark of little boy guilt has grown over the years, burning inside him to this very day, making him blush with shame in his middle age. So it's hard to hear from Jesus that there are consequences to hurting and oppressing others. Deep down, we know what wrongs we've been part of or are being part of, what wrongs in society we've colluded with or perhaps are colluding with. And I won't ask you to raise your hand, but we all know those hurts that rest in our hearts. And we can justify it to ourselves. You know, I haven't broken a commandment. It's far from illegal. But Jesus talks about the spirit of the law, the love behind the law, and that judgment about being liable for inflicting harm on one, one another is a hell of fire. And perhaps that hell of fire is what my friend feels in his heart and what a lot of us feel when we do harm, flames of guilt and pain and shame. So what is Jesus asking us to do? It's simple. In words, not so much in deeds, we are supposed to get in right relationship with one another. We aren't to get all self-righteous about how law-abiding and perfect we are. When we come to church, we aren't to shove down those things we have done and what we have left undone. We need to be honest about them, bring them to God, honest about our brokenness in relationships with one another. And it's not like God doesn't know what's in our hearts. It's something we acknowledge from the get-go in worship. Our very first prayer, we affirm that in God, all desires are known. No secrets are hid. 
And in that first prayer, we ask that God cleanse us. Cleansing comes from God. Love comes from God, and it's freely given. The ability to live into the spirit of the law, the cleansing to love freely, it comes from God. The stern teacher's text that Jesus is, is saying does not say that we have to earn God's love, that if we do X, Y, and Z, then I will love you. And part of what's hard about this morning's reading is we don't get to hear what Jesus says immediately before this passage. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus declares our fundamental goodness right before this passage. And immediately before that, it's blessed are the poor, blessed are the persecuted, those who mourn, blessed are people who are marginalized. So what we read this morning was part three of the Sermon on the Mount. One, God loves everyone, especially the dispossessed and people on the margins, the people we hurt, the people society hurts. Number two, we are beloved. We are created in the image of God. We are salt. We are light. And number three, that belovedness which binds us to God binds us to one another. And that belovedness calls us into right relationship with one another. That love that we have from God is to be shared with everyone. So our job here on earth is to reconcile with people we hurt. And if we don't, there are consequences. We personally will carry pain. Our society will carry pain. So the good news in the gospel is actually a clarion call to step away from self-righteousness, to step away from self-delusion that we are always perfect and law-abiding and good and step into the spirit of the law, into love for everyone and for reconciling with those we've hurt. Boy, oh boy, do we have a cultural context right now, a political and societal context that is crying out for God's love. It's crying out for God's love to be translated into action translated into reconciliation. And what that reconciliation is up to us to discern in our relationships with God. I wish I had an easy answer. Do X, Y, and Z, and all will be well. But it's our engagement with God, that communication with God, living into being the salt and the light, which is going to show us the way. So let us honestly and courageously say yes to reconciliation. Let us honestly and courageously say yes to joining our fellow human beings and standing up for Jesus' command to want, love one another.